That's the theme today, that God is faithful. When you think about all the things in this world that we depend on, things that are faithful or we hope that they're faithful, think about it. You walk into a room and you can't see, you reach for a light switch, you turn the light switch on and just like that the lights come on. Or you need to wash your hands or you're thirsty and you reach for that faucet and you turn the handle and out comes the water. Even sitting here today, hearing this message, singing these songs together, your heart is beating faithfully, pumping the blood through your body. You're breathing in and out, whether you think about it or not, involuntarily, breathing in the oxygen, breathing out the carbon dioxide. You are living, existing because of the faithfulness of God's creative order. The challenge for me this morning is that there are so many Bible verses about the faithfulness of God. It's trying to bring it all down into an understandable, concise manner. Today, we look at the one who is the most faithful of anyone, our Lord God. I want to begin by a definition of God's faithfulness. This comes from Dr. Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology textbook. It was my textbook in seminary, and it's still one of the best accessible systematic theologies for the average church person to want to read. And it's a good book. It really is. Grudem says, God's faithfulness means that God will always do what he has said and fulfill what he has promised. God will always do what he has said. If he's faithful, and he is, and he's always going to bring about, he'll bring to fulfillment what he has promised. This is our God our faithful God. I want to begin by looking at a couple of ways that we ought to respond to the fact that our God is faithful. And then look at six ways in the Bible that we are told how God is faithful. First, the faithfulness of God is worthy of our testimony and our praise. God's faithfulness should be spoken of by us to others. God's faithfulness makes him all the more worthy of our praise. Look what the psalmist says in Psalm 40, verse 10. He says, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. You are a great congregation. And I and you must not hide or conceal the steadfast love and faithfulness of God in our lives. There is nothing more encouraging as a Christian than to be with God's people and to hear stories of God's faithfulness in people's lives. It encourages us. It builds us up. God wants us to declare our testimony of the faithfulness of God. Look at Psalm 89 verse 1. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. 
With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. Now, don't miss what we find there in Psalm 89.1 and Psalm 40.10. In the Old Testament, often faithfulness is found in the same sentence as steadfast love. The two seem to go together a lot. So we're to sing of the steadfast love of God, that's praise, and then we're to make known God's faithfulness to all generations. When I started out in full-time ministry, I have one little pie in the church that I worked with, and I loved that little pie. It was the college and young professional singles at the First Baptist Church of Opelika, Alabama. I loved those students, a couple hundred students. I was basically like an older youth pastor working with a little older than youth, and it was a joy in ministry. But you know what? I love being the pastor of a church more than that because I get to see all the generations. And to see the older generation declare God's faithfulness to the younger and the younger to speak God's faithfulness to the older and those of us kind of in the middle hearing and passing the faithfulness of God from generation to the next is such a privilege and an honor. Psalm 89 verse 5, just four verses down from verse 1. Let the heavens praise your wonders. Praise. God, why? Oh, Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones, the holy ones of heaven are giving praise to God. Why? Because of his wonders, because of his faithfulness. His faithfulness is worthy of our testimony and praise. But a second response is this. Because he who promised is faithful, we can hold on to our confession of hope. Now, maybe you're one of those people that rides at a theme park on the roller coaster and you're just hanging on. Or maybe you're one of those that goes, woo, right? <laughs> you, no, I mean, I'm just saying. But there have been times in life where you got to hang on, right? It's rocky, it's rough, it's bouncy. And, and, and my, the picture in my mind is, is hanging on to a rope with all you got. Hanging on, hanging on. Look what the Bible says in Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? For he who promised is faithful. If God was unfaithful, we would lose our hope. But because God is faithful, we can hold on to our confession of hope in him. There was ever a time in the nation of Israel where hope surely had to be at perhaps the lowest amount. It was when the holy city, Jerusalem, was destroyed. We have a whole book of the Bible, Lamentations, written by Jeremiah the prophet. And the book begins this way, How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become. She who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. And then verse after verse of despair of lament, of pain coming forth from the prophet Jeremiah seeing Israel receive judgment for their faithlessness. God was faithful to do what he said he would do and he judged them. 
Oh, he's faithful to forgive, but he's also faithful to judge who God is. And then you have chapter 2. And then in chapter 3 of that book, Lamentations, you find this beautiful section in verses 21 through 24. It's a whole book of despair and lament. It's a depressing book. Let's just be real to read. It's, it's the psalmist, it's, it's Jeremiah who's just struggling. But he's being real with God as we should be and must be. But he says, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. So what is Jeremiah hanging on to when the city is burned down, the people are gone? He's holding on to this truth that God's mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, therefore in my soul I have hope. And if Jeremiah can have hope in the midst of the destruction of Jerusalem, you and I, church, we can have hope at all times. So the faithfulness of God is worthy of our praise and declaring to the next generations and all generations. And because God who promised us is faithful, we can hold on to our confession of hope. Six ways now that we see the very faithfulness of God displayed in the Bible. Number one. God is faithful to forgive. God is faithful to forgive. Now, weeks ago, I talked about a God merciful and gracious. I read from Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7. This is when the Lord passed by in front of Moses and declared, revealing his glory to the prophet Moses. Moses asked the Lord, show me your glory, and God did. Look what we find here. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed his name, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Don't miss that combination. They're always seemingly together. Steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Yes, he is faithful to forgive, but he's also faithful to do what? But who will by no means clear the guilty? Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Faithful to judge, faithful to forgive. 1 John 1 9. If there was ever a New Testament verse to memorize about confession and forgiveness, this is the one. John says, if we confess our sins, confess means to agree with God. So if we agree with God and have the same view of our sins that God has, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. To forgive our sins, us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I believe this verse gives us the pathway to salvation. 
The gospel of Jesus is found in this verse and our right response to him. Now, we not, we're not told about the cross in this verse, yet we're told how we're to respond to the cross in this verse. Salvation begins with you and I admitting to God that we've sinned. That's confession. We humble ourselves. The Bible says that we are to repent. To repent means to change your view. You change your view about who God is, about who Christ is. Somehow he becomes more than just the guy you learned about in church growing up. He is really the son of God, the savior of the world. You realize that you're really a sinner who is going to go to hell apart from the grace of God. And you just turn in faith to God, confessing your sins to him. And that's the beginning of your Christian life. And God is faithful to forgive all those who call upon his name. The Bible says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He is faithful to save, faithful to forgive. But he's also just to forgive. We saw the faithfulness of God in Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Faithful to abound in love and forgiveness and mercy and grace and faithfulness. But who will by no means clear the guilty. But visit the sin upon the, the fathers and the children. And so what does that mean? How can God be a holy, just God... And be just and forgiving us of our sins. He's a loving God. He's merciful. He just forgives because he's, yes, he is forgiving. He is merciful. He is faithful. But he's faithfully merciful and faithfully just. God's way to be the justifier of our sins was to put our sins upon Jesus Christ on the cross. Romans 3 talks about this, how God is both the justifier of our sins, how Jesus bears the wrath of God. Next week, we'll look at two of the hardest attributes of God, the jealousy of God and the wrath of God. They're both true about God, and we're going to talk about it together. But God is just to forgive us of our sins. Oh, he's faithful. He's merciful. He's gracious because he's good. But he's also good and just to forgive us of our sins because Jesus became sin for us. The gospel is in this little verse. He is able to justify us because Jesus became sin on the cross for you and me, that we might then become righteous because of Christ. We receive his perfection. He received our sin. He's faithful. He's just to forgive and to cleanse us. To forgive means to let it go. God lets our sin go as far as the east is from the west because he places our sins upon Jesus. But God also cleanses us. He cleanses us. He purifies us. You ever gotten into a bathtub or a shower and you're like, I'm supposed to get clean from this bathtub or shower, but the bathtub or shower is dirty. 
I'm supposed to get clean, but there's film on the walls. So I'm trying to wash my dirt off of my body, yet this thing's, what you, you know, you clean it, you cleanse, hopefully, you cleanse that tub or that shower and make it clean so then you can get clean. God purifies us. He is Mr. Clean. He makes us clean from our sins through Jesus Christ. This happens at salvation primarily, first and foremost, but it happens, it should happen in our daily lives. I used this illustration in the last two services, but I've been married to Jennifer, my wife, for 22 years. And I was taught in our pre-marriage counseling, there were three things that I should know and say to my wife if I wanted to have a happy marriage. First was, I'm sorry. Second was, I was wrong. (laughs) Third was, will you forgive me? (laughs) And that goes both ways in marriage. But how silly would it be for me to offend or hurt my wife with my action or actions or words a week ago and say, Jennifer, I'm so sorry for what I did. And she said, Kate, I love you. I forgive you. And then a week later, I do something again to hurt her. And she's kind of expecting me to say, I'm sorry. And I say, no, I'm not going to say I'm sorry because you forgave me a week ago. And I, in your forgiveness, you know, for our whole marriage. No, I mean, I'm, I'm a dumb husband if I do that. If I'm going to walk in relationship with my wife, I'm going to confess. I'm going to be in relationship with her. How much more with God? Yes, he died on the cross once for all for our sins, paying the price forever, faithful and just to forgive us forever. But we better confess our sins daily to God. Why? So we can walk out that forgiveness, so we can live in that freedom, so we can have that intimate, close relationship with God. He is faithful and just to forgive us if we confess. Second, God is faithful to make a way of escape during temptation. He is faithful to make a way of escape during temptation. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you, Paul says, that is not common to man. Let me stop. Paul's saying, you can't say, oh, this situation is just too hard. This is so unique just to me. No, it's not. No temptation has come upon your life and my life that hasn't come to somebody else. We can't claim, we can't play that card. Oh, this temptation is too hard, God. No, somebody else had to face that very same temptation. God is faithful, the Bible says. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. That's good news. But with the temptation, he'll provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. He will make a way to escape. He is faithful not to put on you in that temptation what you can't handle. And he'll always make a way out. Now, sometimes the way of escape is difficult. We see this with Joseph in the book of Genesis. He's sold by his brothers into slavery because they hated him. They were jealous of him. And he ends up second in command of the household of a man named Potiphar, who was the captain of the royal guard of the 
of the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. But Potiphar's wife thought Joseph was a handsome young man. And she kept asking him, demanding of him to come to bed with her. Yet Joseph remained pure to God, faithful to his boss Potiphar. But there's one situation where they're alone in the house and Potiphar's wife grabs his garment and says, Come to bed with me. And he finds the way of escape provided by God. And literally it was he ran away. He ran away and left his garment with her. And guess what happened? He got framed. She screamed and said, this Hebrew is coming to our house to make a mockery of me. He tried to rape me and all this. And she lied about Joseph. And he has to go to the dungeon and prison. But God made a way of escape for Joseph because when he was in prison, there was these two guys that worked for the Pharaoh. And he was able to interpret their dreams. And, and, and one of those guys realized that. And he took that message back to Pharaoh eventually. And then Joseph becomes number two in command of the whole kingdom kingdom all because he followed the way of escape provided by his father God always makes a way of escape for every temptation he's faithful amen so he's faithful to forgive he's faithful to make a way of escape number three God is faithful to guard us from the evil one he is faithful to guard us from the evil one The evil one is the enemy, the devil, Lucifer, Satan. And he's faithful to protect us, to keep us, to guard us from him. The Bible tells us this, 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 3. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. That's what God does. He establishes he guards. He is faithful to keep you from the evil one. Look at Psalm 91 verse 4. He will cover you with his pinions. And under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. God is faithful to protect, to keep, to guard us from the enemy. And we see this so clearly in the Gospels. In fact, in just a few minutes, we'll take the Lord's Supper together. But that last supper that Jesus had with his disciples there, he says something to Simon Peter. He says, Simon, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you. And when you return, you will then go and strengthen your brothers. Now, the way of temptation came to Simon Peter that night. Jesus even predicted that three times you're going to deny that you even know me. But the way of escape was there for Peter. When he was asked those three times, aren't you one of his followers? He could have said, yes, I am. But he lied three times. And he failed. And Satan was sifting him like wheat in that moment, bringing him to despair. The Bible says he wept bitterly. But Jesus prayed for him. And Jesus prays for you too, the Bible says, right now. Making intercession for each one of us at the Father's right hand. He prays that we will be strengthened, that we'll return and fulfill the call that God has for us. And God protected 
Peter from the evil one because Peter comes back stronger than ever, filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, the day of Pentecost comes, and he preaches that great salvation message, and the church is born with 3,000 people who are baptized into the body of Christ that day because Jesus prayed for a failure like Peter. God is faithful to guard us from the evil one. Four, God is faithful to sanctify us completely and keep us until Jesus comes again. He is faithful to sanctify us completely and keep us until Jesus comes again. Now, I love 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24. It's a short verse. It's an easy verse to memorize. Faithful is he who calls you, and he will do it. There have been times in my life that I've struggled and said, God, I know you've called me. You're faithful. You're going to do it. And that's a good application of that verse. But so many times we want to pull our little verse out of context. What is the faithfulness of God doing specifically in the context? Look at verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. He will set you apart. Pastor, you don't know about my struggle. You don't know about my addiction problem. You don't know about this relationship. Pastor, you don't know about my past. I just, how can God set me apart? How can God sanctify me? How can he make a, something good out of a mess like me? He can and he will because he says he will. He is faithful to set us apart and keep us blameless until the coming again of Jesus Christ. Look at Philippians 1.6. Some translations being confident of this very thing. The ESV says, and I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If God started it in your life, he's going to bring it to completion. Well, Pastor, I, I, I just keep messing up. Join the club. We're all sinful. We fall short. But it's the faithfulness of God. That keeps us blameless. It's his work. It's the deposit of his Holy Spirit in our hearts that makes all the difference in our lives. He will keep us until the end. He will keep us blameless because he's faithful. Well, pastor, you're, you're a preacher, so you're, you're faithful to God. I don't have any faith. Well, number five, let me help you out. God is faithful even when we're faithless. God is faithful even when we're faithless. Now you're, well, Pastor, that just, that just sounds like heretical. It's not. I'll give you two verses in a minute. Listen, God doesn't want you to walk out of here without faith. The Bible talks over and over again about trusting God. He wants us to be full of faith. But even when we're faithless, that doesn't change his faithfulness. Look what Paul says in Romans 3.3. Paul will often kind of ask these hypothetical questions and then answer them. He says, what if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? Paul says, certainly not. No way. 
Your faithlessness doesn't nullify God's faithfulness. But 2 Timothy 2.13, it's, it's the verse. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. For He cannot deny Himself. There it is. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. It's because He is faithful that He will not deny who He is And that's for our good, church. I talked about God wants us to have faith. And we have that wonderful uh, hall of fame of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 in our Bibles. One of those is Abraham. A great man of faith. We see his faith, don't we? Genesis chapter 12. God says, I'm going to bless you. Make a great nation out of you. I'm going to lead you to a land that I'll show you. And Abraham goes. He follows the leadership of God. He leaves Mesopotamia. He goes to the land of Canaan, not knowing where he's going, but he's obeying God in faith. Wow. But then just a few (laughs) verses later, there's a famine in the land. And they got to go down to Egypt to find food, which is kind of a common theme, apparently, in the book of Genesis. And what does Abraham say? The great man of faith. He says, Sarah, his wife, you are so beautiful. Smart man. (laughs) But because you're so beautiful, when we get down to Egypt, don't let them know you're my wife. Say that you're my sister. Because if you tell them that you're my wife, they're going to kill me and take you for their own, to be your wife, their wife. So here is this great man of faith who follows God's call in Genesis 12. And here he is, faithless, a scoundrel, a deceiver. And here we go. His nephew Lot gets in trouble. Abraham, the man of faith, a warrior, goes and bails him out. Chapter 15, Abraham is taken outside by the Lord and he sees the stars and he says, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand of the seashore. And the Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. The very foundational verse for our salvation by grace through faith comes from the book of Genesis, the man of faith, Abraham. But just a few verses later, what happens? His wife Sarah's like, Hey, we're barren. We can't have kids. Let's build a family through my slave, Hagar. Abraham says, no, woman. That is a, he's okay. (laughs) He gives in. Faithless Sarah, faithless Abraham. And here they go, creating a great problem that we still live with, the seed of Ishmael and the seed of Isaac. And then we have the, the angel of the Lord comes and, And says, at this time next year, Abraham, your wife's going to give birth to a son from your own body. And what does Sarah do? Praise the Lord. I want to be a mom. No, the Bible says she laughs. (laughs) And the angel heard her. And the angel confronts her a few verses later. He says, you did laugh. He called her out. (laughs) Here's Abraham. Faith. Doubt. Faith. God put Abraham and Sarah in the Bible for us. And maybe this, this promise is, for, is just for me this morning, but, but the times that I struggle, the times that I feel faithless, the times that I'm down in the dumps or whatever or, or just distracted, God is still faithful. 
Even when I'm faithless, God is faithful. That is good news, church. Can I get amen? That is good news, at least for me. I think maybe for you too. God is faithful to forgive. God is faithful to make a way of escape during our temptations. God is faithful to guard and protect us from the enemy who wants to destroy us. God is faithful to set us apart completely and keep us pure until Jesus comes again. God is faithful even when we're faithless. And lastly, the Lord Jesus is he who is faithful and true. Come to the book of Revelation chapter 19. And there are so many words that the Holy Spirit could have inspired John the Apostle to write in that moment when he sees heaven open and he sees the white horse and he sees the one sitting on the horse who we know is Jesus Christ. But what does he say? He doesn't say holy, though Jesus Christ is holy He doesn't say merciful, though Jesus Christ is merciful. No, he says, then I saw heaven open. Revelation 19, 11. And behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called faithful and true. Oh, he's faithful and true to forgive and pardon all the things I've talked about today. But he is also faithful and true in righteousness. He judges and makes war. And you read Revelation 19. Caution, violence is there on those pages because it's war. And Jesus is triumphant on that horse, faithful to bring about all that he said he will do. He is a faithful God. He is faithful and true, church. Oh, Lord, my God. We're an awesome wonder, God, of of all that you've made and all that you've done through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You are faithful and true, God. We can have in our lives as Christians faithfulness because of your Holy Spirit. The fruit of your Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Today we can live out faithful lives and be a faithful Christian, God, because you are faithful to your word, to your promises. Lord, strengthen us. Send us out of here, God, prepared to be faithful followers of Jesus. Thank you, God, for being faithful even when we are faithless. Thank you, Lord. Let us tell our story of your faithfulness. Let us praise you, God, and hang on to our confession of hope because you're faithful to forgive. You're faithful to make a way of escape during temptation. God, you're faithful to protect us from our enemy. God, you're faithful to sanctify us, set us apart, keep us pure until Jesus comes again. God, you're faithful. You are faithful. Even when we're faithless in Jesus, you are our Redeemer who is faithful and true. We ask these things now in your name, the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Would you stand now as we sing about the incredible depth of the Father's love for us? Today you may be struggling with faithlessness, trials, tribulations. You may be lamenting in your heart, just like Jeremiah. I pray today you come forward. I want to pray with you that you might find hope in the Lord. Maybe God's calling you to say yes to salvation, yes to baptism, yes to church membership, or just yes to his call. 
Would you obey him today? Let us respond with praise and testimony of the faithfulness of our God together. I'll be here to receive you. This altar is open. This time is for you to respond to God right now as he leads you by his spirit.